Hello, welcome to today's edition of the Daily Objective. Yeah, it's not Rucka, it's not even Rousey, it's me uh, for the Daily Objective. Uh, James Valiant, you're, uh, I'm sure a lot of you are, know who I am. Uh, I um, wanted to talk today, though, about this amazing Supreme Court uh, term we had that just closed up, a revolutionary session. You know, if you find this material interesting at all, uh, if you find this content valuable, do hit like, do hit subscribe, and do hit join. Um, it keeps the lights on around here uh, <laughs> and uh, keeps what we do uh, going. Find this at all valuable. Uh, but wow, what a Supreme Court session just ended. It is the most consequential session of the Supreme Court. This term, they issued more consequential decisions than uh, they have in quite a few uh, decades perhaps in my life since the 1960s, let's say, or the early 1970s, this has probably been the most consequential term of the Supreme Court uh, since that time. And there were decisions that ranged across the board that had to do with the relationship between religion and government, the role of each branch of government. President Biden the other day said that the abortion decision, the Dobbs decision, for example, which we had earlier discussions on with the Daily Objective, uh, was an exercise in raw political power. I disagree with the Dobbs decision in the sense that I do believe that abortion is a fundamental right and that a correct understanding, a principled understanding of the ideas of the Constitution supports the protection of that most important right to bodily autonomy. Uh, that a woman possesses. Uh, and that was horribly overturned by the Supreme Court. But for a leftist to say it was an exercise in raw political power is, in my view, sheer projection. Every decision that comes from the left side of the Supreme Court is, in effect, an exercise in raw political power, untethered, completely untethered, to the words of the Constitution, very often untethered altogether to existing Supreme Court precedent for all their screaming about Roe versus Wade being uh, established precedent. Um, and you can hear in all these other discussions of that uh, uh, from the left, it, it, you know, it comes down, you know, so often we complain about the right and the problem is there are no defenders of capitalism on the right, even the American right, which claims to be defenders, uh, you know, enemies of socialism, they're a bunch of socialist, semi-socialists or, or worse themselves. They have no idea what capitalism is. They, they don't know any, they don't, don't have the first clue of a principled idea of the free market. Similarly, on the left, it's these defenses or these attacks on the Supreme Court that are particularly weak and offensive and do more damage just as the right does more damage to the defense of capitalism and the free market. So the left does more damage to their own causes uh, uh, than the right could possibly ever hope to do in the way they defend themselves. Well, the decisions, in my view, basically amount to the Supreme Court establishing a more predictable order, at least, even though it's one that I vehemently disagree with. There were some good decisions, like the gun decision and the EPA decision, the Environmental Protection Administration decision. Both of those decisions, I think, were very, very good. In the first instance, a right to self-defense 
a fundamental right to self-defense that involves the use of a handgun was established. Now, this doesn't mean that the government can't regulate weapons at all. They made that very, very clear. But under the Second Amendment of the Constitution, uh, the Supreme Court said, and this was their terminology, the right to defend yourself with a gun is not a second class right. And the exercise of that right shouldn't have to depend upon some condition. And that is an amazing step forward in uh, an understanding, a conceptual principled understanding of the right to self-defense as it is protected by the Bill of Rights, uh, the American Bill of Rights. Equally, the EPA decision, the EPA had been granted certain authority, one of these administrative agencies. And in my lifetime, the federal government in the United States has grown mostly through the creation of large federal agencies that both make the rules, such as the Environmental Protection Agency, which makes its own rules, enforces those rules, and adjudicates uh, the violations of those rules. That is obviously a clear violation of the uh, struct constitutional structure that America started with, a separation of powers, executive, legislative, and judicial powers, all being combined in these agencies. That's bad enough. And since the 1950s, the Supreme Court has said, sure, go do it. If, if the Congress gives you this general authority, a general rulemaking authority, go make your own rules. Well, the EPA had never been thought could uh, regulate carbon emissions because of uh, the greenhouse uh, effect or catastrophic man-made global warming. That was not originally conceived of uh, in the law or the laws that came after that expanded EPA uh, jurisdiction. And so the Supreme Court said something that big, the EPA cannot just on its own say, we're gonna regulate car all carbon emissions now, emissions now, which is exactly what Biden wanted to have happen. And the Supreme Court said, no, 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 no. That kind of a big expansion of your authority has to come from Congress. So we at least, now imagine how desperate the situation had gotten, that I'm grateful for a decision like the current EPA decision, which at least says that major changes in an administrative uh, agency's authority have to come from Congress. <laughs> as bad, as good as those decisions were, the Dobbs decision uh, is bad. But attacks on the system uh, that come from the left, I think are awfully distressing. Uh, blow the system down, end the filibuster, pack the Supreme Court. Those decisions would undermine another basic constitutional principle of America, an independent judiciary, an independent judiciary, the system that defends all rights, any rights. If we're ever going to get abortion back as a right, we don't burn the system down. We have to work within the system until our, the government truly becomes tyrannical, um, until and unless we really have a censorship and we can't really uh, peacefully change things. Uh, well, we, until we reach that point, we have to work with the existing system. And attacks on it only undermine uh, the legitimacy of the Supreme Court and law and order in general in the country. Getting back to the decisions in this session, and then I'll wrap it up for today. Uh, I don't know, I don't see any uh, super chats or questions there yet. So do interrupt me, Daniel, if we ever do get those. Uh, please feel free to ask your questions about the current Supreme Court uh, session. I'll try and answer them best I can. Um, the other decisions that were important and uh, somewhat distressing 
were, for example, the uh, school prayer, the coach. Uh, conservatives, of course, p- pitched the coach uh, who was paid by the taxpayers uh, and was um, the coach of a sports team in a public school. Compulsory education exists in America, and it's a tax-supported institution. And America can have, under its First Amendment, no establishment of religion. And so for my whole lifetime, the Supreme Court has enforced what was called the Lemon decision about when the government, when government officials can and cannot pray, demonstrate their own particular religious views. And uh, conservatives thinking it was the coach who wanted to lead a prayer, he just went out in front of everyone, the end of the game, prayed to himself, um, and he wanted to pray publicly. Now, of course, other students joined in. And there was an atheist student who thought he wouldn't get playtime on the team if he didn't join in with the prayer. And so he felt pressured to join in with the prayer. Conservatives, of course, focus on the victim being the coach who wants to pray in front of his students uh, when he's doing a job that the taxpayers uh, support. Now, of course, this is inherent uh, as a conflict given public education. Public education cannot avoid making uh, value assertions, uh, just what they teach and how they teach it are going to involve important value judgments. <clears throat> whether you teach in science, for example, uh, intelligent design at all, or whether you just stick to uh, natural selection uh, in, in biology, uh, to teach the development of species uh, uh, will be involve uh, decisions uh, that will offend some people's religion. Whether you do it, whether you don't, it's an inherent conflict that is necessarily part of public education. But the existing rules that we had at least understood that that atheist kid feeling the pressure was a victim, was a victim, not just this coach, conservatives all that. Well, geez, he's got religious rights. He's got religious freedom, doesn't he, to pray? Well, not when he's doing it in his official capacity as a coach pressuring all the kids who have to go to public school. So it's been a a change in the way religion, for example, the establishment of religion is understood. We don't quite, I think those decisions, I think are going to inspire a lot more cases coming to the Supreme Court to define exactly where the line now is about the establishment of religion and what the government, what government employees can and can't do in the exercise of their religion. Another decision, which I think cuts the other way, but is related, involved the state uh, use of uh, taxpayer funds for parochial schools. Now, uh, federal funds can be used at religious universities, for example. But when it comes to local education, the the left argued that, no, you, you can go to secular private schools, I suppose, but you can't use... You can't take money away, as they put it, from the public schools, uh, as if money being taken away, you get that concept. But uh, you can't take away money from the public schools and send it to religious organizations. Now, again, that's an interest. I mean, it's like the tax exemption for religious charities and uh, churches. Where does the line get drawn? There's inherently a conflict there. But in this case, I tend to support the outcome that while the government should not be supporting any of this in the first instance, 
the discrimination against religious schools is wrong if you're going to give the money to private schools. And this is a big promotion of public of private schools. And that, in effect, is why I support it, because it supports uh, private schools in general and will help get rid of public education at the end of the day. <clears throat> so it's a mixed bag, but uh, even on the religion issue, uh, in my view. But uh, the court is going to have further decisions based on these decisions, it seems to me, that we'll have to, and it's a conservative Supreme Court now doing it, that will define the relationship between state and church under the First Amendment. A whole new regime has begun. Um, and a whole new regime, as I say, has begun in other ways, too. Um, if I could do, if I could just summarize the entire, bring it down to one, to one pithy summary of the Supreme Court term, Can we do the super chats before the oh, summer? Oh, we do, sure. Uh, so we have a super chat from Mary Aline, $4. Thank you very much. We have Thank a super you. chat from Bonnie Yay, for $2. She says, this is invaluable, James. Thank you. And oh, then we have a question from Stingy Student for $5. Doesn't bad decisions for good causes also undermine the legitimacy of the Supreme Court? The argument in Roe v. Wade was wrong, so it's dangerous. Well, I would say that depends on the nature of it being wrong. But from uh, the outset, let me just say that if America had still had slavery, and if the Supreme Court said slavery was a violation of the Constitution and overturned state laws that permitted slavery, I would cheer the outcome, even if the logic was poor. I would uh, party in the streets and send up fireworks, even if the legal basis for that decision uh, were less than uh, what I would have expected. Um, on the other hand, you make a good point. At, at some point, the poor logic is going to undermine because it is the foundation uh, of it. Now, the Supreme Court can correct itself on its logic. And here, it, it, what they were doing, it's not so much that the Supreme Court's uh, uh, legal reasoning on this uh, was shoddy, because I think there is a good legal argument that can be made conceptually from the Supreme Court, uh, on the, uh, from the Constitution. Take the religious freedom uh, uh, clause. If something requires a religious justification, it is a violation of America's First Amendment. So for example, uh, abortion. To say that there's a moral difference between Uh, say, the unfertilized ovum in a woman and the zygote, uh, you know, a few minutes after fertilization, uh, that there's some moral distinction between these microbes, a morally or legally relevant distinction between these microbes is obviously a religious assertion and one that not all religions agree upon. Unless you can give me a perfectly secular justification for a law, it seems to me that you're violating both my freedom of religion and you're establishing a sectarian religion. So, for example, uh, let's take Judaism. I don't mean to pick on Judaism, but let's say kosher diet. Could America have laws that would enforce kosher diet? No, no. Similarly, I think a constitutional, a sounder constitutional argument for the right of abortion could have been made. Nonetheless, the, the, the frame that they made, this right to privacy, is weak. It was conceptually wrong, but at least it was a conceptual principle attempt to understand abortion 
uh, apply the principles of life, liberty, and property to uh, the, our due process right, which is never really intended to do that, it's true, but at least it was a conceptual, principled approach to individual liberty. So, yes, the poorness of the decision, uh, the bad logic of the decision, the weakness of their conceptual privacy framework, uh, their use, their legal use of the due process clause, as opposed to other aspects of the Bill of Rights, such as the Privileges and Immunities Clause of the 14th Amendment, or as I say, the Religious Freedom uh, Clause of the First Amendment, uh, does make it infinitely weaker and did sort of set us up for this. But couldn't the Supreme Court have corrected the underlying basis of it, the underlying logic, without have taking, without have, in effect, creating this terrible situation? Now, hitting the news in America is the case of this, uh, the alleged case of this 10-year-old girl from Ohio who had to go to Indiana. She was raped. She needed to get an abortion. Uh, so, so goes the story. It's been unverified. It's been unfair. But stories, what I hate is the media jumps on this story and it hasn't been verified. But stories like this are going to happen. Just wait for those stories to happen. A horrible outcome is a, going to occur. I don't want to exaggerate it. In the most populous states in my country, on both coasts, abortion will probably be legal. And uh, California, New York will probably have very liberal abortion laws uh, for the rest of my lifetime, at the, at the very least, if not longer. So abortion, I don't want to exaggerate the uh, practical impact. But on the other hand, I regard abortion to be such a fundamental right that uh, what distresses me is that that right has not been it has been taken away in its acknowledgement altogether, far more in effect than the underlying reasoning. Although your point is very well taken, the weaker the underlying reasoning, the the more it undermines that rights defense in the future. No question about it. So if I were to summarize the Supreme Court term for dummies, the Supreme Court term for dummies, uh, let's see how shall we say it. The EPA case says only Congress can make big laws. Big rulemaking is reserved to Congress. Only Congress can do that. Um, uh, the abortion decision. States have the power to regulate abortion. Medical matters are, as they were before Roe versus Wade, are now subject to state regulation. Um, there was an immigration decision that I didn't cover in my earlier discussion. There, Biden, the Biden administration actually got a win where the Supreme Court refused to make Biden enforce the uh, immigration policy known as stay in Mexico policy. As people are applying for asylum uh, to enter the United States, Trump had required that they remain south of the border, outside of the American border as the application is pending. And, and that did reduce the number of people coming across the border. I, I don't see why entry to the United States is limited to those merely seeking asylum. So I find the whole regime immoral and pernicious. Uh, but the Supreme Court has long said that immigration is, they've deferred to the administration on immigration rulemaking. And this involved a foreign a, agreement with a foreign country, the Republic of Mexico. And so Supreme Court for dummies on that one. Only the president can decide when foreign uh, agreements are to be made and how they're enforced. So uh, 
the Supreme Court has at least given us some predictability and put the pieces of government back into its traditional boxes that they were before certain decisions, important Supreme Court decisions, that have basically run the constitutional order for most of my lifetime. Decisions like the Lemon decision about the establishment of religion or Roe versus Wade about uh, the right to privacy and reproductive and sexual privacy. Those kind of decisions have now been erased and they have been the governing ideas for most of my, of my 58 years on this planet, uh, in this country. Um, and that has radically changed. And in some ways, we're going to need more litigation uh, before the Supreme Court to fully understand the contours of all this. In other ways, it at least is a predictable, understandable uh, order, not the rank, raw exercise of power that Biden claims it is, it's simply a violation of rights, in my view, much more uh, simply put. But at least it puts the branches of government back into the status they were before certain Supreme Court decisions, back into the status quo ante they were uh, before the Supreme Court intervened in recent uh, decisions, decisions that uh, were only about 50 to 70 years old. <coughs> this does, though, signal a whole new regime of constitutional interpretation. There are going to be cases that involve race, uh, racial districting, things of that nature. There are going to be other cases that involve the relationship between church and state, religion and state. Uh, and those cases, I think, are going to be very different uh, than the cases that have been coming out for the last 30 to 50 years from the Supreme Court, say on racial redistricting uh, and affirmative action and things of that nature. I think that we can expect a whole series, and that's just one example, a whole series. The EPA decision, for example, opened up a whole new uh, body of law. If these agencies do have limits to their, their rulemaking authority, what are those limits? What is this big rules have to be made by Congress uh, principle that they've established? And what are the contours of it? Um, I think when it comes perhaps on the good side, when it comes to things like property rights, uh, the interstate commerce clause, we can probably expect some better decisions from the Supreme Court. When it comes to our personal liberties, uh, way it's colloquially put, uh, I think we can only expect more disaster like Dobbs and the restriction uh, of personal liberties. Uh, on the other hand, I, I really want to rush in to say that I don't think that some of these uh, cases will be tested. Uh, for example, I don't think America is going to, American states are going to reenact sodomy laws, for example. Uh, so I don't think that part of it may even get to the Supreme Court for a test. But gosh knows there are plenty of other cases, gay marriage, uh, things of that nature that will go to the Supreme Court uh, that uh, will not go uh, in the direction of personal liberty or equality under the law. One more super chat. One oh. more super chat from oh. Mary Aline for five dollars. Thank you very much. Sure. She says, "Read the coach and prayer. The solution is a complete separation of state and education. No government important. schools." Amen. Public education is an inherent problem this way. They can't help but teach values. They can't help but teach philosophy. 
And it is always wrong for the government to implicitly or explicitly endorse a specific philosophy. If the government, especially when it comes to religious and ethical matters, science, but as I say, even teaching math or science necessarily involves uh, an inherent violation of somebody's rights. Somebody's going to be offended when uh, publicly uh, tax-supported education teaches. There's going to be an official church, in effect, an official ideology, in effect. And uh, whether it's determined on the local level, as it often is in America, or on a state or federal level, it really doesn't matter. The government's got to keep its nose out of the ideas business. And public education is a direct violation of that. Um, <clears throat> the conservatives can only see that this coach wanted to pray and he could not, even though he was there acting as a coach on the taxpayer's time. Uh, liberals will only see the uh, 15 year old atheist kid who felt pressured uh, because he didn't want the coach to give him less playtime if he didn't give the pray time. Um, so, uh, yeah. Marilyn, you're exactly correct. There must be a complete separation of state and education for fundamentally the same reason. There should be a separation of church and state or economics and state for the same fundamental reason. This is no businesses of the governments. It must involve the violation of somebody's rights. Somebody will be offended. You can't avoid it. Whether or not there is a school prayer, for example, Again, I don't see the Supreme Court immediately allowing teachers to lead public school kids in school prayers, not anytime soon. On the other, and I don't know that I'll even be immediately tested, but cases like that will occur. There eventually will be cases like this, just like the alleged case in Ohio. There will be cases uh, like that. And um, I know it's a sad grim way to end this, but um, Supreme Court for Dummies uh, is what I tried to do here. States can regulate your privacy. Only Congress can make rules. Only the president can do foreign policy. You see, the parts of government, the Supreme Court has put the parts of government back into their boxes uh, that more expansive uh, leftist decisions over the last 50, 60 years had permitted for good or evil. And I think both. So thank you for joining us today, it's Daily Objective. Uh, what, what Do we have other things going on today uh, from ARC UK, Daniel? In half an hour at 7 p.m. UK time, we have the Fountainhead Book Club. Uh, I believe oh. Lisa Van Damme should join us and maybe even Shoshana Milgram, but... Uh. I think after the conference, she got sick. So, yeah, there was some unfortunate news. A bunch of people got COVID, I guess. Uh, uh, so did I. Uh, yeah, I'm very sorry to hear that, Daniel. I'm very sorry to all my friends who did get COVID with all this traveling around America that, and, and internationally that, that's happened recently. Um, very sorry to hear that. But the Fountainhead Book Club people and Lisa Van Dam. Uh, wow. What a. Sp I, Everyone who went to Ocon, I'm sure, got a taste of what a powerful speaker Lisa Van Dam is. She actually teaches the Fountainhead, and you guys really shouldn't miss this. So there's an, 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 another reason why you should join and help support the Ayn Rand Center UK. Thank you very much. Have a great day.